Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of No Talking At All with me, Apiksha. I am here today with... Abude, her brother. Welcome back, Abude. Uh, glad to have you back on the show. How are you feeling? I'm glad to be back, and I'm excited to talk about whatever we're going to talk about today. Alright, let's get into it. Listeners, I want to challenge those of you who grew up in the U.S., um, especially if you were in elementary school, to think back to the first time you learned about the Pilgrims. Uh, For me personally, this was around, I think, first or second grade, Um, and I remember it was taught to us as, you know, this is how uh, the America we know today kind of came to be. Um, These are the various innovations that these people came up with. You know, these are the hardships they faced. I remember we went through, like, crafting classes where we learned to make dolls like the pilgrims did. We dressed like them one day. It was a whole ordeal and definitely like a pretty significant part of our curriculum in the scope of American history. One thing I realized though is to me, um, as an American who was of Indian origin, I felt both very connected and disconnected from that whole equation. And I think that occurred to me a little bit later when we had to pick our heroes. So I remember, you know, I was thinking about all the really significant people, and for some reason, my mind went back to, you know, pilgrims in early America, and I chose Betsy Ross, the woman who designed the first, or stitched the first American flag. And she was my hero, and I dressed up as her. I was the only Indian girl in my entire class at the school I was at at the time. There were some Indian boys there, and I remember one of them came dressed as Gandhi. And that was one moment where it kind of clicked to me that I didn't know a lot about Indian history at all. Like, not at all. I, I kind of knew who Gandhi was. I remember there was a book, a children's book that came out around that time, but it, it felt so weird to me that I had picked Betsy Ross and I couldn't think of an Indian person. And I think that also put me in a position where I started thinking, I, I don't know a lot about who I am, but I know a lot about who I am from the perspective of being American. So I think that was one point where there was this kind of identity crisis very, very early on in my life that I didn't really think about too much, but I think about it a lot often now. Abhita, you grew up, um, or rather, you went to elementary school in India. Yeah, right here in Bangalore. So the pilgrims were not really a part of your curriculum, right? Like the Oregon Trail, Trail of Tears, Manifest Destiny, all those terms are probably very foreign to you. Yeah, the only real reason I know the term Oregon Trail is because there was a video game that was on the App Store (laughs) that I played once. And a whole bunch of people just kept dying from dysentery, which I, I don't understand. It was a big problem back then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people were, people were migrating across the country with, you know, those covered wagons. And, you know, we read, like, Little House on the Prairie. You know, that was the history that I became very familiar with as a young girl. Um, but what did you learn about, like, when you, when you think about the history you learned about when you were in elementary school? What comes to mind? You know, this this podcast is going to expose a little bit about how little I know about history, just because, for some reason, not much of it retained in my mind. Hmm. But of the few things I do remember, I do remember learning about, like, ancient Indian civilizations in, like, fifth grade, and learning about uh, the Indus Valley uh, civilization, how uh, when some people migrated from, I think, up north down towards uh, India and, like, sort of settled around the river Indus. Funny enough, I learned about that when I was at the school in Dust. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. So you say that, 
And I think what's interesting to point out there is, you know, we were you were in India when you learned about that. I actually learned about that when we were in India too. When I was in middle school, you know, we went back to look at Indian history, and I think the progression that we went through was ancient civilization, literally thousands and thousands of years old. Um, and then we went through like the different empires, like Gupta, whatever. Mm. And then we went through like Mughals, mm-hmm. and you know, we very slowly crept up to the British arriving. Yeah. And I think about, you know, that was like literally thousands of years of content to cover. So it's impossible to go through it all. But the depth with which we went into these pilgrims, compared Mm. to the depth with which we went into these ancient civilizations that are literally our heritage, is a pretty big contrast. Right? Like, Mm. I think when you think of your history, like, like, quote unquote, your people, was there ever an opportunity in school to learn about your past, learn about maybe where you came from, or was that ever a topic of conversation? When we were learning about the pilgrims, mm. you learn about this uh, ship called the Mayflower. I learned about that, actually. Yeah, which was one of the first ships that brought the first settlers over to America, the first settlers of European descent, right? And I remember during you know our classes when we talked about pilgrims and we talked about you know like Ellis Island towards the end, you know, um, everyone was like trying to track their heritage back to when their family reached the United States. Yeah. Okay, which was really interesting. And I think that was when it hit me that I can literally track when our family came to the United States. Yes, when Dadu came to Colombia. <laughs> yeah, when my grandfather came to you know pursue a scholarship. And officially we landed here when Papa stayed on, yeah, stayed on after college. And in fact, I'm the first American citizen in our entire family because I was born before Mama or Papa got their citizenship status. Mm. So the fact that I could track our heritage down to essentially myself yeah. and other people would, were going back four or five generations was very strange to me. Mm-hmm. And I think one time when this really, really hit me as troubling, or I guess I kind of conceptualized it as troubling, was reading the Song of Solomon in high school, which is a book all about your roots. You know, like, where do you come from? Who are your people? And I, I just think there's like a really interesting juxtaposition of like, in terms of the way I was educated about history, about quote unquote, my people is really not relevant at all to my own personal history. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something I've struggled with a lot. I've always felt very separated from who I am from an ethnic perspective. Who are my people and where are they coming from? Mm. And I think it's also a real struggle because it's a very eclectic story and it literally goes back thousands and thousands of years. Like you said, like, you talked to Dadu about this. Do you want to share a little bit about what he was able to tell you? Yeah, sure. Um, but actually, before I get to that, there's just one thing I'd like to bring up, which is uh, while you're talking, I remember, I think in like second or third grade, we had a project of making a family tree. Hmm. And, well, I was able to put in my own name, your name, Mama and Papa, Dadu Dadi, Nanu Nani, and some of our uncles, aunts, and cousins. Outside of that, I would not be able to do. And... At the moment, like, that didn't really bother me too much. I was just like, okay, I don't know anyone outside of these people. But when you say, like, people were able to trace back their family back for generations and generations, that kind of idea seemed super foreign to me. Yeah. Right? Um, Now, the one experience I have, um, and I regret that I did not, we'll question this further in my youth, but um, I asked our dadu about, uh, well, you know, where did we come from? So... Uh, to listeners, our mom's side of the family is from Punjab, although what is now in modern-day Pakistan. Um, 
and our or very close to the border. Very close, yeah. And our dad's side of the family is from Rajasthan. Um, and specifically, our hometown is Udaipur. Uh, so I was asking my dadu about it one night, because um, when we used to visit, he and I would share a bed. Uh, so I asked him about that, and he was telling me like a bedtime story, essentially, of how uh, we lived in Udaipur since the 1500s. Um, and how before that, we actually migrated from further north. We were in Kashmir. Mm. Um, which, as a side note, I think is kind of funny because our last name now, Atal, is Kashmiri, but it has nothing to do with the fact that we were in Kashmir prior to the 1500s. Yeah, we'll get into the last name in a second. We'll revisit that. Well, that is the only knowledge of our family history that I have, um, other than our Dadu's father was a station master in uh, Udaipur. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's all I got. Um, and for reasons like that, I've been always very drawn to the idea of something like, well, when I first heard about 23andMe, I thought, oh, that'd be so cool to finally figure out where um, our family's from. But then I found out that apparently most people who do it from regions of like, South Asia, it's Southeast very, Asia... It's very Eurocentric. Yeah, it says like, oh, you're, you're from this region. Yeah. Instead of saying like, oh, yeah, you're, you're, you're on, I'm 4% uh, Afghanistan. Yeah. And then you're like, great, I already knew I was brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wanted to know, like, what shade? Um, yeah, that's really valid. And I think one thing that gives me, like, the chills um, is the fact that it's it's kind of a part of our tradition, an ancient tradition, to actually keep track of family. And, mm -hmm. and that's not something that we actively do. Yeah. But um, I think, I don't know if our listeners know about this, and I don't know how many families in India subscribe to this, but this is at least true for our family. Mm -hmm. If you go to Haridwar, which is near the Ganges or Ganga, um, where people go to scatter the ashes and cremate you know, their, um, their loved ones who have passed on, uh, if you go to, I don't know exactly what it is, there's like some dude, Mm -hmm. <laughs> some some keeper of records yeah. um you go to them and you basically say your family name or give whatever details are necessary and you have to make a record of the person who has passed and you had a, i don't think you saw it yourself i think papa probably saw it but yeah so um what ended up happening was this was uh well when dadu passed right mm -hmm. so this was mid 2018 yeah was when uh papa me um shantu dadu and I'm forgetting if anyone else came with Mom us. Mom was with you, right? I think uh, uh, Vibhav Chacha was there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so when we, we all went up to Haridwar to scatter the ashes, um, at one point, I'm forgetting why they didn't take me with them, but yeah, Papa and Shantu Dadu went to go find the person who kept track of our family records, and there noted down when um, Dadu had died. Yeah. And that was, well, a very intriguing concept to me. Because apparently, so uh, I was told that the history of this was that this guy would come like from village to village just recording the births and the deaths mm -hmm. and would uh, scatter around. And that's a tradition that's lasted. Mm -hmm. and, and it's literally paper. It's paper, yeah. Uh, and I kind of, again, this is another thing I regret, is not actually seeing that in person. But I think it's incredibly interesting that that goes back for generations and generations, like a long, long time. I have no idea how many, honestly, hundreds of years. Yeah. And in that, it says a patron of beauty at the end of it, <laughs> which is crazy to me. Uh, and I'd like to see that at some point. Yeah. And it's like something that, again, like we never asked anyone to do it. It's like, I think this is also part of the motivation behind this podcast. You know, there are some things that are really important to preserve because they kind of encapsulate a lot of what is important to us as human beings. You know, like we're sentient. We don't have evidence that other animals are not, but we know that we are sentient. 
And I know I personally am kind of a hoarder of, you know, objects and words and thoughts and memories. So having the ability to record it somewhere or knowing that something is available, knowing that you, even if you forget it, it will still exist in the world. Mm. I think that kind of creates a sense of legacy and longevity um, and makes it feel like there's kind of a greater picture in mind. It's not just like you're a blip, you're a part of something huge. Oh yeah, as humanity, we're very attracted to the idea of preserving knowledge and keeping knowledge together. It's yeah. why we hoard giant lumps of dead trees into these things called books and libraries. Yeah. Right. It's also why I still have candy wrappers from middle school lying around. Um, <laughs> but that's besides the point. Yeah, I think when you guys told me about coming back, like that was just, it was, it gave me chills, honestly, because mm. it was, it's such a beautiful tradition um, that's rooted in a very, very simple premise, you know, record keeping. Yeah. But no one has ever really taken it to, the, I mean, obviously we have like proper death certificates and there are like databases and stuff, but it's just like a very, I don't know, it's like intimate. Yeah, no, it's, it's an actual, it's not like some just legal document that exists, whatever, like a birth certificate or a death certificate, but it's a record of our family. It's just as much part of our family as I guess, honestly, we are. Yeah. It's a document that's existed for generations and generations of our history. Yeah. It is part of our family. And I truly think hearing about that document is the most connected I have felt to my Indian heritage. Honestly, me too. Me too. Because, um, well, as I, I don't know how much we've discussed this earlier, but there is a certain disconnect that we do feel sometimes, especially being born in the U.S. and accents being the way they are, language barriers, whatever. Mm -hmm. But just being... Not even seeing it, but even just knowing that it exists and knowing that we're a part of it mm -hmm. has made me feel so incredibly in touch. You know what the feeling is like? You know, like, if you were to, for example, produce a movie mm. or be a part of a movie or, you know, you take part in a play or you work on a scientific paper and then you see your name and as one of the authors. Or, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, so, the like, playbill. so when I, when we learned about Pilgrims and Ellis Island, you know, sometimes we would see slides of you know, pages of the book. You know, they still have, like, those entry books from Ellis Island. People can go and, like, see when their ancestors oh, came really? over. Oh, they do that? Yeah, That's yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I know that from the movie Hitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, like, that's a thing you can do. And I remember just thinking, oh, I'm never going to have something like that. My name isn't written anywhere. My family's name mm -hmm. isn't written anywhere. But then knowing that it was... No, it actually is. Yeah, that's what it is. It makes you feel like, you know, we there's some importance <laughs> to your <laughs> existence and someone, you know, beyond you cares about keeping it yeah. together. Also, something of note, though, is that even though this document has existed for so, so long, we didn't know about it until Dadu passed. Yeah. Which, I, I mean, I don't know how much can be said about this here, but it's just interesting that we didn't even know about it. Yeah, because it's not an active... Like I said, it, it just it's just there. It's there when you need it. Kind of like this break. Let's take one, and then we'll be right back. go back and tell our listeners a little bit about our late grandfather he was an anthropologist so when we said like he he literally started our family's you know journey with the united states he went to columbia um through the fulbright program so i'm he did yeah what yeah i'm i'm also a fulbrighter so we have that in common um but he went to study with a very famous uh sociologist whose name i can't remember i know mom does but it's you know too late to go back and ask her um anyway he told us about how he lived as a family there, um, 
And when he came back, I think that kind of... I mean, he was the first person in his village to leave Udaipur, I think, if not mm. India. Um, if not the first person to leave Udaipur, one of them, but the first to leave India and go like, to the other side of the world. Um, and as Papa talked about in the first episode, he lived all over the world. He's a very, very worldly human being. Um, and part of what's really iconic about him is that he was really into, you know, like the abolishing of the caste system. He was really mm. into social reform. So our family name... Um, is Sharma, yeah. which is a very typical like Brahmin name, but he wanted to hide his caste because as an academic, as a you know champion of social reform, he didn't want that to be the determining factor when someone interacted with him. So his birth name was Uday Sharma. Um, Uday Nand Sharma. Sharma, thank you. And uh, later when he was kind of getting a little bit more serious about pursuing this profession, he decided he was going to change his last name. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, someone picked a random letter of the alphabet, one of his siblings, and he chose four first names that started with A. He put them in a bag, and he had Chantudadu pick out names one by one until one was left. And the one that was left in the bag was Atul. And that's how we have our last name. What? Abhizu's face is like, this is horrible. Okay, okay, I, wait, wait, for the listeners, I did not know that's how it happened. All I knew was, yeah, he wanted to, to hide his last name, social reform and everything. So he chose a different last name. I didn't know he picked a name out of a, out of a bag and that well, became our, our well, family's he, name. He picked four options and then he put those in a bag. And <laughs> he told me this a long time ago. And Atal is actually like, a, it's typically a first name um, outside yeah. of like Kashmir. But in Kashmir, it's, so I have a lot of people who be like, oh, are you Kashmiri? And I'm like, I'm not. I don't really know how to, ex I can tell you this whole story about the bag. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but anyway, but I think that's really interesting because... Um, there is an element in India, and I know there's a lot of tension around this because it's a very casteist sentiment, but, um, uh, or sorry, it propagates the caste system. But you can track down, to a certain extent, someone's heritage or someone's regional uh, origin based Just off of the last name. name. Yeah. yeah, so the erasure of that, it was intentional erasure on our grandfather's part, but the erasure of that is also really interesting because it kind of disconnected us from the other siblings in his family because they're all Sharmas. You know, like every other uh you know, cousin of our of our father. They're has, all Sharmas. They're yeah. all Sharma and we're Atal. So we've already kind of broken off, but it's kinda of cool because we're part of an exclusive club <laughs> that, you know, we're Rajasthani Punjabi and American and, you know, ambiguously Kashmiri but yeah. not Kashmiri. But then technically because we did come from Kashmir at some point. Yeah. Um which is really interesting. So yeah, I thought that would be cool. But another fun, just this is something uh, fun I used to think about as a kid, which is that, uh, our, so our mom's maiden name is Sharma. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'm, we're actually pure Sharmas, but our grandfather changed the last name. But even that's not true, <laughs> because um, our mother's father's last name was Arjuna, but he changed his last name to Sharma because our mother's mother, uh, in, I don't know. She wanted that to be the last name of the family? I'm not sure, but he took her last he name. He took her last name. Either out of laziness or progressiveness. Maybe accidental progressiveness. Mm -hmm. um, Sharma just kind of prevailed. So there you go. Two progressive families coming together. Um, and now we're just told. Let's see what happens beyond that. Then I have to decide how to carry on our names. Yeah. I think I'm going to keep mine. Yeah, me too. I put too much effort into my signature. Although I always thought that for my kids, just... Uh, just, you know, so in the name, it has visible heritage from both parents' side. It has my name and my spouse's name, like, hyphenated maybe, or mm -hmm. maybe one of the ones become a middle name, something, but it's weird to have only one. 
Yeah. Like, again, it's a way of carrying down a story and yeah. staying connected. So if you want to stay connected, that's a cool way to do that. If it's in your name, it's kind of hard to forget. You know? Maybe I take my spouse's last name as my middle name and vice versa as well. Sounds like you'll have a lot of documents to update. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> that's one reason I also <laughs> I don't want to change yeah, it my sounds life. like such a hassle. <laughs> Why go through the trouble? Anyway, so be that, what do you know about... Or, or, or where did you learn the most about Indian history? Was it in school? Was it in, you know, stories and conversations with our family? Like, what what moments, what teaching moments were there in your life that helped you get more familiar with your inheritance from an Indian perspective? When you're talking about Indian history, you're talking about, like, the empires that used to be here and stuff like that? Anything that feels relevant. Well, yeah, when we're talking about, like, you know, the empires that were here, um, caste system... And stuff like that. I learned a lot about that in fifth and sixth grade, very specifically. But other than that, um, I'd say my second uh, wealthiest deposit of info comes from talking with our grandparents. Like it'd be Dalu talking about Rajasthan or just all over the place, wherever he went to go do his sociological work. Mm -hmm. Or uh, Nanu and Nani talking about partition and where they lived before. Mm -hmm. um, and even though it's not Indian, technically, part I'm learning a little bit about Iran. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Future episode. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so it would it just their stories that were usually told either uh, over the dinner table or uh, as like kind of bedtime story type of thing. That's where I guess I got a lot of my knowledge. Yeah, I feel like some of it also came from TV, right? Like there were a lot of these really epic. Uh, serials that came on like Jhansi Kirani yeah and uh, oh what was that uh, Ma Maharana what was it you know what I'm talking Maharana about Maharana Pratap yeah Maharana Pratap and, and our grandparents loved those shows because yeah. like Rajasthan was never conquered right Rajasthan remained a princely state and, and the kings and it uh, <laughs> it remained kind of untouched although I mean, there was a lot of interaction with the British but it was never conquered by the British so getting into that history uh, is really really interesting. I feel like I learned a lot actually um, from like traveling to historic sites like mm. when we went to like the forts like Chitar and yeah. um, Red Fort, <laughs> you know, Charminar, Kutubuna, like all these like historical sites um, Even in Bangalore like Tipu Sultan's tomb and Mysore Palace like just seeing that all of these places exist and Abhida you probably don't remember but uh, Dadu took us on a road trip to Mysore a long time ago. I do remember that. We had the best roadside food in my life. Yeah, we had some really there. greasy dosas, and we saw Mysore Palace, and he was just so into just explaining what was mm -hmm. going on. Um, but yeah, but we road tripped around Rajasthan and seen some really amazing old buildings. Yeah. When we lived in Hyderabad, we lived so close to Golconda Fort. Yeah, that was that was nice. So, you know, we, we're kind of surrounded by this history that's really tucked into these corners of India. In Rajasthan, it's everywhere. And also, interestingly, uh, when we went to Cambodia, I'm sure you might remember this, we went to a lot of, again, like ruins and historical sites, a lot of things that were very sadly destroyed during the many wars and hardships. That, but lots uh, of Hindu temples. Yeah, lots of Hindu temples. And actually, the most I learned about Hinduism very upfront was through a museum that we went to, a Hindu museum in Cambodia. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was the first time I learned about like the churning of the ocean of milk, which is our yeah. origin store, our gen genesis, you know. Um, and it's funny because I, you know, studied uh, English literature in college, and I feel like we all learn like Shakespeare and all these like you know great English writers. Uh, and because of that, we have a very like Christianity Eurocentric 
kind of historical context that we're operating within. Uh And you kind of need it to understand all the works in that era because it's all inherently religious. Um, And a lot of the stuff that is religious from, you know, our standpoint would not be in English. So that's why it's not as accessible to us. But going to that museum and seeing it presented in kind of like, you know, a neutral setting, you could almost say, because it was like a historical part of Cambodia. It's Mm -hmm. not necessarily what it is today. Um, That was really beautiful. And Mm -hmm. I remember also in Bangkok, my friend and I, we went to this uh, contemporary art museum. And that was the first time I went to a contemporary art museum and saw artwork inspired by Hinduism and Buddhism. Mm. So I feel like, you know, we go to these, like we went to... um, the Rijksmuseum, we went to the Louvre, we went to the Vatican, all these like really important historical sites and museums, mm. and we see so many representations of, again, European people, Christianity, yeah. you know, Judaism, all these stuff, like all these kind of more Western traditions. Um, and then for us, like all of our art is kind of just limited to like the temple. That was the first time I've seen someone try to bring out its nuance and color and beauty and paint it in like a contemporary accessible mm. fashion. Obviously, like the art we saw, I was just standing in front of it feeling like deeply moved. I think especially when it was in an effort to seem more accessible. Like it wasn't just like, you know, we have pictures of gods painted by a million different people yeah. in our house. Mm-hmm. That is not new. But seeing like, you know, like a cubist interpretation or seeing like a psychedelic mm. interpretation, seeing a mm. surreal inter, I was just so moved that there are people who are invested enough or see enough cultural importance to depict it in a new way because i think to a certain extent hinduism is so 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 old yeah that it just feels like that's all it will ever be is old um and i also remember when we were at comic-con in delhi yeah the comics yeah there were comics that were you know really cool interpretations of mythology and i think our mythology is really cool yeah and the I, Secret of the Nagas. Yeah, which I haven't read. Me neither. But Papa says it's great. <laughs> but it exists, so we will read it. But like you know, like I've read like Greek mythology. We all learn about Greek mythology, Egyptian mythology, Roman mythology. We learn about that in school. Uh-huh. Um, and I think you know, you and I were both in American and British education systems for the longest time. Uh-huh. So I'm not saying like, why didn't you teach us Hindu mythology? Mm. But I'm saying that you know, there's it's always kind of trickled into our lives in the most unexpected like comic books yeah. um panchatantra <laughs> yeah like all these and, and it's such an old culture it is such an old culture mm-hmm. that you know bringing it into contemporary parts of our lives is it almost feels very tedious um but i'm really thankful that people do that because otherwise i really don't know how i would have connected with it mm. um well, yeah because when, when most of the stuff is really old it's weird because you're in a completely different era and while stuff from the old can be like incredibly interesting, incredibly moving in its own right, it's a little bit tougher to connect sometimes if it's not like in the same age as you. See, it feels like you're learning about something that's long lost, not something that's a yeah. part of your current culture. Yeah, like it feels so ancient. It literally is ancient history. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's literally ancient history. So like, yeah, when you go to temples that are thousands of years old that are still being used today the way they were then... I think mm-hmm. that is just like a really deeply, um, I almost want to say like haunting experience because you feel the gravity mm. of generations and you feel, especially like with Hinduism where a lot of it, I mean, with any religion, a lot of this is rooted in lifestyle, right? Like mm. how should you go about conducting yourself to be the most 
not compliant, but like a harmonious member of your community. Of your society, yeah. Just yeah. a good member of society. And like their community centers. I experienced this in, I mean, when we were in Turkey and we went to like the Blue Mosque and all, and Hagia Sophia. And, mm. you know, you just, again, you feel like that history. And even like when I was in Carnegie Mellon, there was a huge Catholic church across the street from my apartment building. I just like walk in, sit there, hang out. When I was in Rome, some of the churches uh, that Sistine were... Sistine Chapel? Not even Sistine Chapel, just like churches in like the neighborhoods in Rome. Some of them are hundreds and hundreds of years old um, with like frescoes on the ceiling and stuff like that. Yeah, so I'm just thinking, I mean, there's just a lot of these really old buildings. And, and in Thailand, you know, like right next to where I lived, like in the Kanti Tamarat, there's this very iconic Wat, which is a temple called Wat Pramalatat, and there's a night market, and they're still kind of, you know, uh, renovating it and preserving it or whatever, but it's still like a community center. And I think that's also like something that connects you to your history. Like, what were my people doing hundreds and thousands of years ago? You know, so like, and, and I think the, the connection is the important bit there. Like when you go to the, I remember when we went to the Colosseum in Rome, they said, touch the walls because thousands of years ago, someone else was running their hands along these walls. Damn. And I remember just going like, ooh, <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> cool. But then I was also like, you know, where can I find that equivalent for myself? The exact experience would be when you we take off your shoes before entering a temple and you touch the steps as you're coming up. Yeah, I'm not a very religious person, but I, I think some of the motions are important to me because it makes me feel like I'm a part of that tradition. Yeah, no, for sure. When you're doing something like that and, well, if you're, not, if you're just do, going through the motions, you're not actually thinking about it. But if you give even a slight amount of thought, you can feel the weight of generations and it's really cool. Yeah. I do that in America too. If I go to a temple in the US. Touch the steps as you go Yeah. On. Or even if I go to a church, I will like, you know, touch my forehead, touch up, my down, chest. Up, down, left, right. Yeah, up, down, left, right. I'll do that because I mean, I went to an Episcopalian school, you know, so I did that in, in chapel a few, for a few years, three years, right? So there's a lot that goes into that. I mean, tradition, um, and like, where is it coming from? But I think the crux of what I was trying to get to today is when you come from a very eclectic background. And for us, that comes from where we were born, where our parents were born, where their parents were born. Those are all different, and where we are right now. Yeah. Those are all completely different places. It's a jigsaw puzzle without any intersecting pieces. Exactly. So it's not even just us that are confused. It is kind of everyone who's confused, which is kind of beautiful. Like it's, it's like a constantly migrating constantly. It's not boring. I'll give it that. Yeah. It's a, it's a constantly evolving identity, mm -hmm. not just for us, but for our whole family. And I think that makes the idea of moving forward and trying something new a little bit less scary. It almost feels like a responsibility to mm -hmm. keep, to keep moving and to keep adding pieces, or to keep adding, I don't know, what would you say? Add masala to the family tree. Yeah, masala to the tree, to the family pot, to the family... To the family chai. Yes. No. Let's go no, wait, hold on. <laughs> or like, I like kind of add spices to the family chai. <laughs> yeah, sure. Chai tea. No. Thanks, everyone.
Alright friends, that concludes another episode of No Talking At All. Uh, you heard the crickets chirping, so that was at night, and I hope you can't hear the birds chirping this morning as I'm recording the outro. No Talking At All is produced by myself, Apeksha Atal, and our theme music is by Kai Roberts, who you can check out on Instagram at Kai Roberts Music. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. I hope this spoke to at least some of you, and I'm excited for you to hear the episodes to come. Take care, everyone. I'll see you next time.